0: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blob Talk
3: Radio. Hey, this is
4: Zach Efron, and you're listening to the Stupid Cancer Show.
5: I
6: hate you both. I've hated you ever since
5: I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes,
2: in the head. <laughs>
1: I'm as tired as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain! Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? This is the Stupid...
7: Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. Because he has a lot of chutzpah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Hello there, children.
7: Hey,
1: hey, kids. <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late.
2: And now the hosts of the Stupid Cancer Show, Lisa Bernhard and Matthew Zachary.
1: Woo-hoo! If there's anything wrong with
4: that. Oh, yeah. Monday, October 31st. Happy Halloween, folks, and welcome back to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. I'm Matthew Zachary, a 15 year young adult survivor of pediatric brain cancer. Joining me shortly on the line will be Lisa Bernard. She'll be calling in from a secret underground bunker with Dick Cheney. She is a 16 year young adult breast cancer survivor. We are your hosts for the Stupid Cancer Show. And it's not okay that 70,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer every year. So, got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is here, changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. Tonight's Halloween show is called Cancer in Film Part 2. Yes, I said Part 2. Kicking it off. S. Casper Wong, Academy Award-winning... Oh, I'm sorry, Award-winning, sorry, I inflated her. Award-winning director, writer, filmmaker, producer of the, uh, the show, uh, movie Lulu Sessions and the founder of O.O. Media. I think it's called Fu Media, but just tell us. Steve Mazan, Young Adult Survivor Liver Cancer, Emmy Award-winning writer. He actually is Emmy Award-winning. Uh, writer, stand-up comedian, and uh, the subject of the amazing documentary film Dying to do Letterman. In the spotlight, Lenora Caraballo and Abu Farman, known as Caraballo Farman, a breast cancer advocacy team, visual artists at Caraballo Farman. The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of the I Am Too Young for this Cancer Foundation. Online at stupidcancer.com, we're not your father's cancer society, because we're bringing the cause of cancer under 40 to the national spotlight where it belongs. So welcome aboard. Another fun and exciting romp to the hay on tonight's show, where remission is never a cure and survivorship, that's all that matters. And a Stupid Cancer, welcome to all of our first-time listeners here on the Blog Talk Radio Network and on iTunes, as we broadcast live from the Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan, and as a final reminder of the Stupid Cancer Show, as a live, interactive chat feed during each broadcast, we invite you to join in the fun, connect with our friends, and ask questions of our guests. I can think of no better way to segue in than this.
1: You got it, folks.
4: It is Halloween on the Stupid Cancer Show. I am going to welcome, live in studio here, Mr. James Manning. Hello, hello. Hello, James. Happy Halloween. You too. And friend of the show, friend of Colleen O'Neill, the lovely and talented Kimberly Helm.
0: Thank you. Ever so kindly. Welcome to the show. Thanks, everybody. Hey, what's up? And I'm Kimberly. I, I,
4: and I think Lisa's on the line. Lisa. Hey,
5: guys. Hey, how are you?
4: All righty, Lisa. How you doing?
5: I'm all right. You know what's really sad is that, um, you know, I can't be there, obviously, because uh, I am in the, in the Big Cheney Bunker, otherwise known as um, Catastrophe Central in the Hudson Valley where I live. But they've actually, because we've had this storm hit us so badly and everything's destroyed, the trees are down, the power lines are down, it's like a war zone, they've canceled halloween officially in my town
4: oh my god
5: <laughs> they canceled. they're actually the children can't go trick-or-treating isn't that the sad thing you've ever heard so is it
0: like illegal it's, is it's it illegal like, it's like a they, thing
5: well i i i guess it can i guess it's technically not a not a law but they literally have sent out word within the town that halloween is off because too dangerous to drive. It's too dangerous to walk around with your kids with, you know, power lines sparking everywhere and more limbs coming down. So they've spread word through the town, stay home, no trick-or-treating. Is, uh, it's a loud sign. But I don't know what will happen if, like, the odd kid, you know, turns up. Like, you know, you shouldn't – if you're supposed to give them a trick or something. But, um, but yeah, it, it, it it's, 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 spread, it's, it's spread through town that um, – it, it's sort of like it's almost like Footloose. Like there's no dancing allowed, you know. There's there's no Halloween oh allowed in, in my town tonight.
6: This is upsetting on oh my so goodness. many levels. <laughs> maybe the parents will drive them into the next county, at least for their sake.
5: Yeah, it's too. It really is too dangerous to drive though, which is pretty nutty. So maybe we anyway, can uh, move
0: Halloween to later. There you go. Do a postponed Halloween date.
5: Yeah, I haven't heard of a postponed date, but um, Halloween in November, a, maybe like Christmas in July. Yeah, maybe there's a movement afoot for that, but uh, wow. anyway, so Well, we're yeah. bummed. <laughs> well, well, Lisa,
0: I was looking forward to meeting you finally in person. I know. Person.
5: I know that would have been well, well. We'll do it. We'll do it soon. It'll happen. Yeah.
4: So wait. So, so you are you have a gerbil on a wheel, cranking up some electricity, power <laughs> your your wooden iPhone, right?
5: Well, we're actually yes, that's right. There are the gerbils gotten very big and musky. We actually we give the gerbil steroid shots every once <laughs> in a while, so he really bulks up because of all the storms that we have. So we have a hell of a gerbil. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it is
0: creepy in your house. Yes.
5: Yeah, the gerbil's the size of a small pony. <laughs> um, no, we actually uh, a lot of people around here have generated. We actually have a generator, which means it can run and charge things every once in a while, and we can actually shower and bathe every once in a while. So, yeah. So what's it like
4: in
0: 1887?
5: (laughs) Exactly. Laura Ingalls, with a a
0: giant gerbil underfoot in your house.
4: I have to queue up the little house on the prairie theme.
0: Oh, I love little H on the P.
4: Let me see uh... how quickly I can pull this up. So wait, so what else is going on, Lisa? Besides, yep. you're being snowbound, homebound, and Are you and just in the dark right in? now?
0: You're in the dark? Are you sitting alone in a corner? What's going on? She's always in the dark. It's, what?
5: Yeah. <laughs> I, I usually do that, though. That's that's my, normal, <laughs> that's my normal way to be. It's your
0: go-to position. Sitting
5: alone, sitting alone in a corner in the dark. Mm, um, me too. So let's talk about what's going on. Did you see, you know, I don't know if you saw this, you guys, or Matt, if you saw this, but there was a piece in the New York Times, I don't know, yesterday or day the day before, talking about how um, now doctors are saying it's sort of like this this big no-no that you're not allowed to talk about but how screening for cancer is bad which to me only means that it's more costly Um, but there's a huge piece that there's so many adverse effects and that so many cancers that you know are caught by the time they're screened they're either small cancers that nothing will ever come of them that they may even go away, or they may not materialize or do anything bad, or they're just so far gone that the screening doesn't even matter. And so screening is useless and irrelevant and costly, and why get screened, basically?
1: Um,
5: And I'm not a a, a huge proponent of that. But uh, anyway, that was a piece I was just reading the the other day in the New York Times that I thought was sort of interesting, but... um, and here kind of I was, alarming. working
4: my ass off to get this on the on the screen.
5: <laughs>
0: oh, man.
4: In honor of Lisa.
0: In honor of nice. Lisa. Now we just changed gears, which is what the heck do we do with anything anymore? I know. I know. Yeah.
5: yeah.
4: That is kind of sad.
5: Yeah, it's very sad. So, um... So... Matthew, tell what else, what else is going on with
4: you. Well, we we lost a friend this weekend.
5: I and, know. Uh, about, speaking of sad.
4: Uh, yeah, very sad. Very sad. Um, for those of you listening and anyone within the sound of our voice, um, let's see here. Uh, a young woman named Jolene von Milenich lost her battle with cancer this weekend. She died peacefully at home with her friends and family surrounded by her. And... Um, she had been fighting multiple cancers, multiple recurrences, multiple tumors for a very, very long time, and became like this emblematic rock star of what it is to own your life when you have no control over it. And uh, she had been on the show once or twice. We we got her on the show, um, I think I asked her like in June, I said, well, you should come on the season opener, uh, Stupid Cancer Show, in the fall. And she's like, well, if I'm alive, I'll be there. So... She was alive, and she came on the show with her mother, uh, Denise Von Milenich, and she has a support group on Facebook called Jingle for Jolene, with like thousands of people in there, loving her, rooting for her, and uh, we wanted to just uh, give a quick homage, maybe a minute or so, of our brief interview with her, uh, Denise, and her daughter, Jolene, um, from I think it was September 17th or September 15th, this uh, fall, so... Uh, we will love you and miss you forever, Jolene. You are a rock star. You are the, um, with the embodiment of why we do what we do, the the young adult cancer movement. So here's a clip from Jolene von Milenich and her mother Denise from the season nine premiere of the Stupid Cancer Show.
5: Wait, when do we actually get to play the You Know What song? Which one for our special? Are we are you going with my life?
1: That's a surprise. Oh okay. I'll be quiet now. Right Now
5: these folks
4: honestly need no introduction So I'm going to let them introduce themselves Because the story is just so powerful That it goes beyond anything I've, I've experienced And uh, I would just like to welcome to the show It is an honor and a privilege to welcome Jolene and Denise Von Milamich to the show Jolene and Denise
1: Hello. You on the air? Hello. Can you hear us?
4: We can hear you just fine. We are so excited to have you on the line.
7: We are so excited to be on the line.
4: Hey, Jolene. How are you doing? We are making sure that you guys can hear
5: us okay.
4: We can hear you just fine. We got you. What's up, Jolene?
5: Not much. How are you guys doing?
4: We're good. You got like a thousand people listening to the show just because of you, girl.
5: It's <laughs> <That's> awesome. Yeah. As <laughs> as <laughs> I can barely hear you.
4: Okay. Okay. Um, we'll
5: shout. We'll try to shout a little yeah. louder. How's that? We'll crank up okay. the volume here. Nice. Okay. So, no. in mm-hmm. any case,
4: I I wanted you instead of giving you an introduction, which probably wouldn't do justice or service. I wanted you to basically talk us through how you got to where you're at right now and how this all began because I remember meeting you like two or three years ago at UCSD and I think that was when it all started, correct? Yeah, it
5: was at UCSF when she was doing her first uh, round of chemo.
4: That's right, UCSF, my apologies.
5: Yeah.
4: So what was was your initial diagnosis and how was it detected?
5: Her, um... She was originally diagnosed with a uh, phyllodes tumor when she was 17 years old. Can you turn the volume <laughs> She was originally diagnosed when she was 17 with a phyllodes tumor, but it was benign, and she had like three or four lymphectomies. And then when she was 22, she... I was the, 23. 23.
4: She had a double... Feisty to the end. That's uh, just a quick clip of our season premiere from this year with Jolene, uh, who lost her life on uh, early Saturday morning surrounded by friends and family you we missed we love you we miss you and uh, thank you for all you did for our community and a uh, round of applause for Jolene Von Milanich.
1: <laughs>
4: so uh so Elise, you want to bring out our uh, our first guests absolutely okay.
5: uh you guys right. can hear me okay this is yeah this is great we're really excited to have in the uh, spotlight what music are you going to cue up Matt
4: Well, I'll read the bio, because I think the music will overshadow your voice on the call-in.
5: Okay.
1: But
4: uh, we'll probably pick something fun like... uh, I don't know. Let's Rickroll them. (laughs) Caraballo Farman is an artist team composed of Abu Farman and Lenore Caraballo, living in New York. Their work has been supported by a Guggenheim Fellowship... New York Foundation for the Art, I-Beam Art and Technology Center, and they have exhibited internationally at venues such as 8 Modern, PS1 MoMA, El Museo del Barrio, Yerba Buena Center for the Arts, and Havana Biennial. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Caraballo Barman. Hey, folks.
7: Hi.
5: Hello. Thanks so, thanks so much for joining us.
7: Thank you. We Lisa, we uh,
3: we also live in Westchester, and uh, we'd love to borrow your gerbil.
0: <laughs>
3: oh, the oh, quote's good. on this show.
5: Uh, that gerbil's going to get around. <laughs> See? See, I'm not alone in this. Wait,
4: so, yeah, clearly you need to go into the gerbil farming business, Lisa.
5: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I'm thrilled to have these two on the show. Um we have a very good mutual friend uh, who connected us that I'm very excited about. Um, I first want to hear, actually, before we start to talk about the art, um, Lenore, about your diagnosis. You were diagnosed
7: with breast cancer about two years ago. Is that right? I was diagnosed in 2008. I was 36 at the time. Okay. And tell us about what
5: you kind of went through, what your uh, treatment was, and how you how you found the lump.
7: Um, I found the lump myself, actually, in the shower and uh I, I did a needle-guided biopsy and um, did a lumpectomy and then did a blood test and figured out I was BRCA2 so that I, I didn't want to spend my life getting monitored, so I did a double mastectomy quickly after that.
5: That's wow, okay. Basically, in a nutshell, what I did. Yeah, and treatment and... and, and uh... Well, radiation the, or chemotherapy as well.
7: Well, I I was uh my tumor was small enough that I could decide whether or not to do chemo and you know, it was a large debate and, you know some oncologists said I needed to do chemo and and a few said I could skip it if I did hormone replacement therapy, so I did that and uh I did a an nephrectomy and a mastectomy. You know, I just decided to go radical on surgery and skip right. chemo.
5: Now, had you had it? You said you tested positive for the for the BRCA
7: gene. Um, was there yes. also was there breast cancer or more ovarian cancer wasn't. in your family? Mm, Not no, at all. There wasn't. Um, I'm from Argentina originally, and uh, um, my sister got breast cancer like six months before me, and then I did, just suddenly. Wow. So. And how
5: but, old how old was she at the time?
7: She was 37.
5: Wow. Yeah. That's,
7: that's,
5: yeah. Wow, for so the two of you as young adults before 40 and within 6 months of each other.
7: Yeah, and uh also very different approaches. She decided just to um go raw and and uh not do any surgeries. I mean, she did a lumpectomy, but she didn't she didn't doesn't want to know if she she has a BRCA gene or not. And um uh, you know, and I had a very different approach to it. Sure. Absolutely.
5: Now you two, so you, uh, you and your husband Abu, you've, you, what you've created is pretty remarkable. I've never seen anything quite like. Very unique. Diseases. Incredibly unique. Extremely unique. And to you know, for October, for Breast Cancer Month, I'd say it's kind of the antithesis of the Pink Ribbon movement, wouldn't you? In terms of what you're what you're representing. Um, yeah,
7: I mean, it, it all started because of. Um, I I was sitting at the waiting rooms uh, going to do surgery or whatever, and I was kind of getting annoyed at all these pink pamphlets and teddy bears and NFL socks, and (laughs) it slowly started haunting me, you know, and I I just felt like I needed to do something about it. And when I was done with the the surgeries and everything, the management, um, we started thinking about, you know, what can we do to to do something about this uh this you know all this management that one goes through and 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 yet there's nothing concrete to hold on to i felt and i and I was also very afraid and i didn't and and I felt like I needed to know what this tumor looked like, all these decisions were being made for me, and I didn't know what this malignancy was, so that's
5: interesting so you you needed a visual you wanted to know what it looked like, the thing that was growing inside you. So what you two have actually created are I believe sculpture sculptures and um pendants essentially that you can wear like on a on a on a necklace, uh, that are actual images, um, or actual representations rather of of a breast of a breast tumor, correct? Yes,
7: exactly. Can, you, mean, tell, tex- can you
5: Yeah, tell sure. us tell us how you went about to, to create these?
7: Well, um, with, it all started in, in I-Beam, this uh, art and technology place in New York. We won a residency there, and uh, we started to combine um, first my own medical uh, MRI, but then that of friends, and uh, slowly we started to... Actually, we pioneered a, uh, pioneered a way of going from MRI to medic, medical imaging software and then to 3D printing, and from there to... You know, lost wax mold making, jewelry, and sculptural work. So uh, and maybe uh, let's, Abu let's has
5: something ha- to say also. Yeah, it's going to have. Let's have Abu a jump in here because let's I'm sure have a male. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Abu, you two were married at the time when Lenora got her diagnosis. Is that correct, Abu?
3: Yeah, we had been married for uh, eight years. For eight years. Wow. Mm, yeah.
5: So how did you? How did you feel when she said? Um, was because it, it, I imagine she came to you and said, "I want to know what this looks like, and and that this was the idea, and how did
3: you? What were your thoughts at the time?" Well, we, we you know we went we kind of went through it together, and we would go to all the radiologists, and we went through every office pretty much together, and and it was it was this uh, it was this void that we felt behind it, this kind of ghost that was. That was there that was kept being referred to as the tumor, the tumor, the tumor and and the word had no image, and we kept thinking, okay we're it's not like we kept thinking, we just kept feeling as visual artists we needed we needed a representation of it you know symbols are important, not just to us, I think they're important to all cultures and and there was uh, it was there was a kind of a disconnect between those words. And this thing uh, that was being talked about, so we, we you know and at some point we asked the radiologist, and we we went in the back, and it was suddenly this revelation of, of seeing the MRIs uh, and she went through it with us and and it was there that we kind of decided, okay there 's something here uh, from there to going to a three d print to an actual concrete three dimensional object was a whole other trajectory Leo. Pointed out, it was happened at IBM and Technology Center. We met it, their 3D printer, and it was kind of love at first sight with the 3D printer. And we decided we had to somehow figure out a way to go from an MRI to a to a 3D print to an object. How can we actually have a representation of a tumor, any tumor? And we managed to figure it out and did it. And doctors and radiologists are uh, as uh, uh, kind of taken by it as survivors. See, my
4: doctors. I had a brain tumor. My doctor told me it was a golf ball. I was happy with that image. I was you know, fairly satisfied with thinking it was a little Tiger Woods, you know, titleist in, in my brain there. You know, but you had to go a step further. You had to know that it had to be this blobulous, nebulous, weird-looking phenomenon of biology. And you turned it into a three-dimensional object of art.
3: Yeah, I mean, this is you know, it's it's like there's a golf ball, there's a pea-sized uh, tumor. There, there are all these metaphors that just just kind of don't cut it. So you know, we we wanted to see the enemy, let's say, yeah, and, and yeah, that's the kind of reaction we get, which is that people say, well, oh, oh, now now I kind of can see it, and and it's it's externalized, and if I had this to hold on to when I was going through it, maybe maybe it would have been different uh, psychologically at least.
0: Well, you see it, and it's not pink. <laughs>
3: yeah,
7: exactly. Right. You, you actually you see it. it. <laughs> yeah. It, also, it and you... also felt more threatening and out of my control when I didn't, I couldn't see it, and somehow, once I thought I was more comfortable, less, less scared. Sometimes
1: you
0: know, I... it's about naming it.
7: Yeah.
4: My tumor was so... Bob.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
4: I'm kidding. I didn't name my tumor.
5: Bob the golf you... ball. Yeah, you've made you made them out of is it bronze uh, again? Tell us the materials that you've actually cast um, these images. Well, the, the
7: large sculptures that are that are at Remy's um in Chelsea are actual you know, the bronze uh, with patina. Our, our jewelry pieces um, that we're selling on ObjectBreastCancer.com are are silver, gold-plated, brass and they're they're small. They're like amulets that you can wear, charms. We'll put that up in the chat room, Matthew, you can instruct somebody there too.
5: I'll get it's where people can go to actually um to buy the jewelry as Lenora mentioned. And uh what so what kind of art had you guys been doing before this? Uh,
3: yeah, we'd mostly been working on on video. I mean, it was still very sort of new media and and, and more or less technologically oriented, uh, internet-based, and in video work and installation. But again, it was that meeting with the 3D printer that changed this. And uh, and you know the the whole show is kind of an installation altogether. Although each piece is its own art piece, it's put together as a as a as an entire kind of environment where each room is a different concept. It goes from it goes from the source of the imaging, the MRI sounds and the MRI images. Uh, to replication replication also being a form of uh, the form in which cancer cells kind of you know proliferate and, and don't stop and then the final result which is uh, which are those uh, crazy tumor shapes and uh, the tumor prints with the you know that are on the wall
5: and your show we should mention for folks who are in new york your show is up um in Chelsea at you should tell us to get, until November fifth, is that right? And you wanted to tell until, us the gallery?
7: Yes, until November fifth at, at Remy's Barquet, which is uh five thirty two West Twenty Fourth Street. That's between ten and eleven avenue and also at um at IBeam Window Gallery, which is the place where we started all this, um which is five forty West Twenty First Street. Also until November fifth. Yeah. That's okay.
5: Awesome. Now you and you guys have gotten some great terrific Grants? Was anybody at all um, resistant? I mean, I know among the medical community they must have jumped on board right away and said this is really cool. This is, you know, this is fabulous. But did anybody sort of say, you want to do what? You want to do the actual, you know, images of these tumors? Or, or was everybody on board?
1: Uh, yeah, no,
7: no. no. Not everybody's on board. I mean, uh, people in the medicine world are, but um, other, other folks, they don't immediately get the whole idea sometimes and... Uh, they say uh, they, they're a bit confused, like uh, how come you're making something beautiful out of something ugly, and and all of this kind of conversation. Eventually, they get it once they they touch it or they see it on on me or uh, on Abu or on a friend. They kind of realize that it's uh, it, that something beautiful can also be, you know, positive. It doesn't have to be something negative.
3: It is is a controversial project. It's it's very direct. And and the problem is, you know, I mean, like the first question you asked, the the whole kind of culture that's been erected over the past 20 years around breast cancer has been very specific and it's been very much sort of toweled uh, by by the cushy pinkness of it. And, uh, And so when there's something this direct, people do tend at first to think, what are you guys doing are you crazy and then and then there's a kind of a process right there's a couple the couple of steps before everybody then thinks okay well maybe there is something to this and and then and then there's a conversion kind of uh, point where you think okay uh, well it's not so crazy after all it's actually you know pretty interesting it's still charged it's not like you know
7: they, they, what they realize is that it also concretizes the enemy in a way right it's very right. concrete that one holds on to. That's well, right. And,
0: and the pieces are beautiful too. We've been checking them out and looking over the necklaces and the pendants. Yeah, that's
7: that's the uh, controversy, right? Is it there? There's something beautiful that kills you.
0: Yeah.
4: Well, it really is like a stick in the face. You know, it's like you're giving the the middle finger to to breast cancer in a way that the peaceful, happy bunny loving in the forest, Disney World ribbon really can't. Yes. That's
3: right. right. That's right. And it, you know, and it's kind of saying, listen. You know, this thing has been taken out. It, here, this is proof. It was imaged. It was taken out, and uh, you know, a, and we're still around um, for now.
5: Yeah, no, I, I, I do, I do love that idea of of, of, of really seeing the enemy in all its uh, shape and form. And uh, well, again, the um, the website is objectbreastcancer.com, where folks can go and and buy. These pieces, and anybody in New York can go uh, check out your your show again in Chelsea uh, uh, at the two galleries until November fifth. And um, well, we're um, we're really excited that you came on the show. Thank you so much for uh Thank you so much for having us.
4: No, it's a great and, uh, way to end Pinktober because it's not about ribbons. dot com. Awesome.
3: <laughs> it's and yeah, and it's the last day, right? Today. Yeah, uh, it is. Exactly. The it, pink it, is coming it, down, so no, go to the it, show before it yeah. uh, before it ends. Congratulations yeah. on your survivorship of stupid
4: cancer and your sister as well. You guys are doing really great work, and we're incredibly thrilled and honored to have you on the program.
7: Thank you, guys.
4: Thank you so much.
7: Bye bye. Thank you guys okay. so
4: much. Okay. Lenore Caraballo Farman of Caraballo uh, Farman. Well. That, Hey, I gotta tell you that, Lisa, you still there? Yeah. Yeah, like it's just cool. Like I said, my tumor was a little, they said it's a golf ball. Okay.
5: <laughs> right.
4: Go buy a Titleist yeah. and admire it. Exactly.
5: I, 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 yeah. No, it's it's really it's 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 pretty brave and tremendous what they've done. I mean, I can see that. You know, obviously there would be some folks, folks to their point that said, "What? You're showing this? What? You know?" But um, it's pretty powerful stuff.
4: We're gonna take care of the news right now. So, uh, let's put you on hold for a second, all right? We'll be right back. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer.
3: Just the facts, ma'am.
4: Okay, during this part of the Stupid Cancer Show, we announce to our listeners a whole bunch of newsworthy programs, events, and services that we don't want you missing out on. And they're all free, and they're all just for young adults with cancer. Things like conferences. Happy hours, retreats, kayaking and mountain climbing trips, finance webinars, college scholarships, bar crawls, concerts, tweet ups, Halloween parties, support groups, and more. If you have something coming up that you'd like us to talk about during this part of the show, please email it to info at stupidcancer.com. That is info at stupidcancer.com. Head on over to events.stupidcancer.com, your one stop shop calendar all of our social and educational events nationwide. Stay in the loop, because we could be—we you know, don't want you missing out on something in your neck of the woods. Uh, we got an event coming up tonight, the Stupid Cancer Halloween Party in North Carolina. On um, <clears throat> uh, tomorrow night in Chicago, Stupid Cancer Happy Hour, two bald Jews. That would be me and Johnny Emerman hosting the Stupid Cancer Happy Hour, 7 o'clock at Dos uh, Diablos. That's what it's called. This Saturday, Philadelphia and the surrounding areas, a Stupid Cancer Boot Camp. Also coming up on November 15th, a Stupid Cancer Boot Camp in New Orleans. Our very first day, we're excited to be partnering with the YATS group, Young Adults Taking a Stand Against Cancer. And uh, over to you.
0: Over to me. Okay, well, the Stupid Cancer Forums have more than 1,100 members. This is your premier online community to connect with survivors, patients, parents, and caregivers just like you. Visit stupidcancerforums.com, sign up with one click, Through Facebook. Also announcing Team Stupid Cancer, our official running team for the New York City Half Marathon. Got feet? Actually, with our crew, feet are optional. Join the hippest running team within a one block radius of our office. Guaranteed entry, low fundraising minimums, and help young adults fight stupid cancer. All right,
4: folks, game on. It's the fifth annual OMG Cancer Summit for young adults in Las Vegas, Nevada, at the Palms Casino Resort. Mark your calendars now for March 30th, March 31st, and April 1st for an all-out weekend of insanely awesome programs, events, social networking at the hippest annual event in all of Cancerland. Visit the official omg2012.org site and get pumped for the most highly anticipated healthcare event of next year, also, check out the OMG Players Club, an exciting new fundraising challenge where you could earn up to $600 in travel reimbursement and an iPad. And a special announcement here tonight, if you would like to exhibit, whether you personally have a book, you have a website, a product, you have an organization, if you want to exhibit at the OMG 2012 website uh, event, go to omgsummit.org exhibit. That's omgsummit.org exhibit. And that is your Stupid Cancer News. So now, let's bring out uh, S. Casper Wong. Casper Wong is a New York-based award-winning writer, director, and producer of both narrative and documentary films. She is the founder of O.O. Media, probably pronounced O.O. Media, she'll tell me later, and the director of the Lulu Sessions, a must-see documentary. According to the L.A. Times, which profiles a former cheerleader, cancer researcher, and professor, we discovered a new anti-cancer drug after being diagnosed with breast cancer at the age of 42. Ms. Wong has also served as a biomedical engineer, corporate lawyer, Reiki practitioner, and cartoonist. All my old jobs. Please welcome to the show, S. Casper Wong.
2: Hello. Casper. Hi, Casper. Hi, thanks for having me.
4: So I see you're following in my career path.
2: <laughs> Only a fraction of it. <laughs> It, and actually,
4: it is OO. <laughs> it is OO, okay. Yes. And a little known secret, I actually did go to uh, my undergraduate for biome- biomedical engineering,
2: oh, um, okay. and then I
4: quit after six months because I had an organic chemistry class at 7 a.m.
2: Oh,
1: <laughs>
2: that was my favorite class. <laughs> <laughs> you can keep your
4: esters, esters uh, ketones, and carbo- carboxylic acid groups. <laughs> I, I have that no right? idea what you're
5: talking about.
4: No, you don't have to. I
0: also have no idea what you are talking about, but that's also because the last time I took chemistry was in high school.
4: There you go. So uh, yeah. I, when Lisa first introduced me to you and your work, I was really blown away by the uh, the irony of the subject of your film, but the 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 gravity of the subject of your film. Um, do you want to talk first about how you got into film and? and what attracted you to this type of, of subject matter?
2: Sure. Well, I, uh, in the story, this is a, a feature documentary that I made 10 years ago, and in the story it actually talks about Lulu being one of the people who encouraged me to go into film. And I had been a, a lawyer for, for a while, and I decided to follow my dream, right? They tell you to follow your dream, so I did. I went to film school, and uh, she got sick the very first year of when I was in film school. And so when I got the uh, phone call, it actually is a really great story. Uh, I was on my way to a wedding, and I had all my camera gears with me. And Lulu, who, who lived in Minnesota at the moment, and she said, hey, you want to come to a biopsy with me? And I said, sure, I can stop over on my way to the wedding. And it turns out the wedding was canceled. The bride had cold feet. And so I had all my camera gear, and I was in Minnesota when Lulu got the phone call from her oncologist that her tumor was malignant, and actually was, she was already in stage four. And so my camera was rolling the, the moment when she got her diagnosis. It was really kind of auspicious how it happened, and I decided to follow her journey. Um, so I went back to, to visit her every few weeks, despite being in film school. and was just cutting a lot of classes. Um, so that's really the, the, the genesis of the story and how I um, came to film the last 15 months of her life. Um, you know, I, I, I like to call it a, a Thelma and Louise story, <laughs> like two best friends trying to take on cancer. What do you do when you get a diagnosis? Um, so the, the story really just follows all the ups and downs of that journey uh, when you first got diagnosed, and, and then there are moments of elation because the chemo seemed to be working, and there was some downtime when the chemo was not. Um, so that 's what the film is about is, is how you know a moment of crisis what what do people do about it? How does that change that's your a, life
5: what a, what an amazing uh start to that Wow um tell us more about um Dr. Louise Nutter or Lulu, as you call her
2: sure well, she was one of those crackajack, hot shot um cancer researchers I mean she went to school when she went to college when she was fifteen. She got her Ph.D. in biochemistry and broke all records at University of Vermont uh, in in three and a half years, so she got her Ph.D. So she was already a a PI, a primary investigator in cancer research by the time she was 29, and she was actually invited by the Taiwanese government to set up their first think tank on, on cancer research and to set up some of the protocols that's still in use today. Um, and that's where I met her. I, I was, a New, I, you know, I'm based in New York, and I was, uh, uh, you know, my first degree in biomedical engineering. And so it was two lifetimes ago that I I, I met her, and I was just a a, a fellow. And she was she, she just wowed everyone. She was way ahead, and she was quite a few points of IQ over me. Um, so she, in many ways, she was my mentor, and over time she became my best friend, and and later on my ex something. Uh, that's all part of the the drama of the story, but you know, ultimately, she she really was my best friend. And uh, a year or two before she was diagnosed, she invented this anti-cancer drug that was patented, and that was extremely hopeful uh, in in going to clinical trials. Um, so, what, what what's the drug? It was called hexahydrocalupilone. It was a, a raw form.
1: Gesundheit. <laughs>
2: See, I could draw the diagram for you if, you, if I was there. Um, but it, it was, uh, you know, and, and people ask me what happened to her research that was so promising um, what, because we've been traveling with the film in the film festival circuit in the past uh, five months. It premiered just in the spring. Um, and unfortunately for um, for academic research and drug development, it takes a very long time. And unless you can really pass it on to another primary investigator who can just abandon their own research and take on yours, it's very hard to find someone who would just take it on and, and invest that level of um, attention and passion into the same drug. Um, so I, I follow it up at, with the university, and they had some interest in it, but ultimately now is 10 years later, uh, they haven't really been able to 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 promote it very much. And how was she? So
5: she was completely amenable the whole time to you to filming her and and her journey,
2: well, or your journey uh, together. Yeah. Uh, well, you know the the opening shot was very auspicious, and and so um, we we knew at a minimum we wanted to have some footage for her class because she caught, taught um, medical school and nursing school, and in, in cancer research. So we we thought, okay, maybe we can use some of that footage of what it looks like to be going through that journey, um, for her class. And as her illness progressed, and it did very rapidly in her case, um, she insisted that I continue to film her. And I think at that point she really wanted me to share the, the footage with people who are going through it because, you know, serious illness and certainly death is something that we don't talk about, we don't like to talk about as a society. Um, we We don't have images of people in their decline. Usually people are in isolation, and and I think for families and friends, sometimes it can be a fairly lonely experience. And I think it's really in that light and in that spirit um, that I decided to take all that footage that I shot 10 years ago and started editing. I only started editing it about three years ago um, because I I think ultimately I want to demystify this process. And and your last uh, guest talked about having images. Um, Lulu was a scientist, so she was very into the science of what was going on. She had uh, in part of the film we show images of her tumor, so you can actually see her tumor. There are white, um, a layer of white cells on top of her normal cells, and uh, that was one of our our prized um, shots uh, because you know th- that way you can see it, you know what you're up against and i think as a scientist she she also um took it on as you know an ex- experiment she wanted to know what kind of treatment would work and but it's not just from the, from a medical perspective the film really approaches it from from a personal perspective as well emotionally how do you deal with it how does your friends and family deal with uh you know the the, the heart blows
5: and did she as a as a doctor was there a different kind of approach do you think as somebody who now was some uh, yeah the, uh, the other end of it as being the person who was diagnosed oh absolutely
2: she, absolutely yeah. she she diagnosed herself days before her doctors did um she had the big uh volumes of cancer you know books in her on her own shelf yeah and she had already highlighted uh what the survival rate was, and she knew she had an inkling of what was down to coming down um before days before her doctors confirmed with that call. Um, so I think it was hard. She was always a little bit ahead of everyone, including her own oncologist. And you know, she taught these guys. She taught medical school. She taught. Uh, so I, I think um, for her, it was more of a a personal journey of how to deal with the you know the family, friends, and and really tie up loose ends, you know, so to speak, and you know, the unfinished business of her life and yeah. you know a, a big part of it was struggling with the illness and and as much as you know about it as a doctor I guess um experiencing first hand is always you know different right
5: yeah so where can tell us where people can go see this film
2: well um our website is called com and we've been uh we just premiered in Copenhagen in in Scandinavia we played in the UK in Cambridge Film Festival um all our listings are under our website under the, the label screenings. Um I just came back from the Vermont International Film Festival. We screened yesterday and uh we're going into Chicago next.
5: Terrific. So it's the Lulu Sessions
2: Lulu Sessions Film, the dot com. Uh-huh. That's the website.
4: Great. Well that, let's put that in the chat. Yeah. The dot com.
0: It's a plane in Chicago right next to my old apartment where I used to live.
2: <laughs> great. It's well, a you better, landmark. Yeah, you better get there oh, right now. I better take a come. plane, right? <laughs> yeah. Have a
0: plane and get there because it used to be within walking distance. It's a great theater.
2: Yeah, tell your neighbors to come by. I
0: will most definitely tell my neighbors to come by. I have a whole group of people in Chicago, and from the trailer, I just I am so intrigued by it all. That opening shot of when she finds out is uh, um, gave me goosebumps when I started to watch it. That yeah, moment. not
2: a reenactment because people have asked me that, you know, because it's so intense that, you, that she reenacted. I say no, it was. And, and I'll give you uh, another tip: is in black and white because I was, on my, you know, I was looking for my camera and I must have turned a button. It was not intentional. That it was black and white actually. Um, but I was in such a hurry to grab that shot. Um, so is yeah, it's it's the
4: Reiki up. practitioner in you that
2: got it wrong? <laughs> <laughs> it must have been. So why is
5: it? Why is your company OO Media? What does that stand for?
2: Well, uh, I feel like it's the beginning. Is is OO for OO site? OO is also for oxygen. Um, things that are very essential to life. Um, well, OO, also o- don't forget, OO is also for. Ooh, Ooh. <laughs> yeah, and I like the sound of that. right? <laughs> Yeah, no, all of that is is actually on my homepage, oomedia.com. I have, uh, I listed seven reasons of why I call it OO. So where
5: do you go from here after this film? Are you staying in the documentary path?
2: Uh, No, I actually, I I cut my teeth in narrative filmmaking. I have a short film called Shirts and Skins that was on the Independent Film Channel. Um, and I, I do both. I have a, a animated musical that I'm working on. of a little, little girl going to outer space. And that's for a change of pace. Um, but I also have two other documentary projects as well. Yeah.
0: So you're staying busy.
2: <laughs> I'm trying to stay off the streets, yes.
4: <laughs> while, while she's having legal clients and practicing Reiki and drawing right, that's peanut right. characters. Different Different peanut
0: characters. Time. Also yeah. just happening to make a short film, just a few more documentaries. And
4: biomedical engineering stuff
0: <laughs> with
4: Charlie Brown. Exactly. <laughs>
0: you are impressive.
4: Yes, very. Well,
0: thank you. <laughs>
4: well, again, thank was... you so much. we we got to run out. We're out of time, but I, I'm i just blown away by the story to begin with. I'm blown away at the irony the way you, you took the story, made it into this this amazing project and i really hope it um it reaches the success it deserves
2: well thank you no i i think it's really by word of mouth that's film so far and we've been managing to start really intense conversations after each screening including yesterday's i mean people stayed around for like 30 minutes after the film in a group to talk about it because again i'm trying to demystify this process that people don't, don't like to talk about well, that's well, great. Kessel, yeah.
5: We really appreciate your joining us tonight on the show. And again, it's thelulusessionsfilm.com. People can go on the website and check out if there's if there's a screening near them. And uh, thank you, Crasper Wong, hey. so much for joining us. Thank good you so, luck so much with for everything.
2: having me. Thank you. Good luck, All right, Kessel. good night. Krasil Wong,
4: everybody. All right, before we get to Steve, I want to make just a quick announcement. I have basically, I spent last night completely overhauling all of our Facebook groups. We had a couple of Facebook groups that were not used, a couple of groups that were sort of dormant, and Facebook's been sort of changing the platform of groups for the last couple of months now. Well, I'm happy to report that all of our groups have been updated, and they are now Stupid Cancer groups. So there's now Stupid Cancer Denver, Stupid Cancer San Diego, Stupid Cancer New York, and uh, it's all very cohesive, it's all flowing very well, and I'm excited that uh, everyone is excited about this. we get a lot of new people. And what's nice about the new Facebook groups is you actually get notified when people post in there, which is a novelty, because it used to be that you had no idea things were happening in your group unless you knew to manually check it. So check out our groups um, on Facebook, and I will bring out our friend now, Mr. Steve Mazon, who is just awesome. He deserves this intro, because why not? It's a funny Jew from New York.
0: A funny Jew from New York? What?
4: Yeah, I know. He's going to tell me he's not from New York, but that's okay. All right. Steve Mazan is an Emmy-winning writer and stand-up comedian who has performed on The Late, Late Show with Craig Ferguson and numerous other late-night shows, as well as clubs around the world. He's most proud of his seven trips to Iraq and Afghanistan to perform for the troops. He's also the subject of an award-winning documentary called Dying to Do Letterman and the author of a book of the same name. I had the privilege of meeting Steve with James two weeks ago at the screening here in New York. It is my honor and privilege to have him on the show. He is the man. Please welcome Steve Maison. Steve Maison. That was one heck of an intro. Thank you.
1: Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you. Please sit down.
4: How are you?
6: Good. How are you guys doing?
4: Where are you calling Great. in from?
6: I'm actually calling in from Key West, Florida.
4: Oh. Oh, nice. Ooh. That's the opposite of where Lisa is right now.
6: <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I'm sure the is... the complete opposite
4: weather and everything. Yes.
5: That is so the opposite. Wow, that's sweet.
4: So oh, I, yes, yeah, I, very nice. So you can mock us for our weather, and we will envy you for yours. Yes,
6: please. There's, there's uh, many things you can envy, envy, envy me for, and uh, the weather is a big one, I think.
4: <laughs> awesome. Well, I I'm, I'm thrilled to have you on the show. I, I know it came at sort of the last minute, but I was really excited to have the opportunity. And James can speak for that too to be invited to the screening. I know they had an amazing time at the um, the Friars Club afterwards.
1: Absolutely. And
4: th- it's just an amazing film. So many people need to see this. Your story is your story is sadly not unique, but the way in which you've chosen <laughs> yeah. to express it is incredibly unique. And before we get to the film, I really just want to touch on one or two things. Um, sure. Number one, you've, you've been a comedian your whole life. Um, It's in your blood. It's in your DNA. It's what you do. You're a funny guy. And you are actually a really funny guy. And Thank you. And you're diagnosed with liver cancer in your late 30s. Uh, actually, uh,
6: early 30s. I was 34 when I got diagnosed, and it was... Uh... It was in two places at that point. It was in my uh, intestines. It was actually intestinal cancer that spread to my liver. So uh, they were able to take care of the intestinal side, but the uh, there was no treatment or care for the liver tumors I had.
4: Right. So I, I asked that because you know our organization focuses on. Um, is, is there a, a a wedding going on in the background there? There is. There is some.
1: Some guy
6: who just all of a sudden is this is Key West, obviously, who so has just decided to walk up on the street with a megaphone and start going crazy. Uh, I apologize. I, I had found such a quiet place to do this.
4: You should go and beat him senseless. He, he found me. Yeah. Yeah,
6: well, uh, I'll save that until after the thing so that there's no proof of it on the radio.
4: Right. So, as <laughs> so I was saying, that, uh, you know, you, we are a young adult cancer organization. I was diagnosed at 21. Most of our members. Yeah. If not all of them were diagnosed in their late teens or even as children, uh, you know, and now are in their 20s and 30s. And uh, it, it really hit home that you, A, you know, you what you chose to do with your story, how you chose to just own it and not really live on the numbers and the stats. But I wanted you to talk about how you were diagnosed, how you went. It, it took a while for it to happen and, to, to, you know, for, to get the right diagnoses and then we sort of cast aside saying five years to live. And you've really right. given the doctors the burden on that one.
6: Yeah, well that's always that's always nice. I, it's there, you know, there's some nice things to uh to reject you know, rejection letters and to uh take worst case scenarios and blow them away. So yeah, it's uh, it's it, there's a little pride I have in that, uh proving people wrong. And yeah, it's uh you know, I was coming home from a comedy club one night after a show and, and had some pain in my side and uh my uh, girlfriend at the time took me to the uh emergency room and they thought it was my appendix. So they said, we're going to pull out your appendix. And next thing I knew, I, I woke up in the recovery room, and there was an oncologist next to me. And he said, uh, your appendix was fine, but we found tumors all over your liver, and they're uh, they're coming from somewhere else. So the next month was, you know, doing tests and trying to find out where the source was coming from. And that's when I, they found out it was in my intestines and um, planned surgery right away to, to remove uh, about a foot of my intestines. And that's when I met with uh, a team of oncologists at the UCLA, actually, about, uh, where we would go from there on the, on the liver front. And, you know, all of a sudden there's nothing really proven that can be done to help what you have there. But, uh, you know, they said, you know, we, we see some people, you know, live, you know, maybe, maybe 10 or 15 years with these. And it was obvious they were, they were giving me a best case scenario at this time. So, you know, uh, we asked, well, what's the worst case? And that's when I said five years. And of course, just like I'm sure many of your listeners know, there's all those, things that you go through when you hear that, you know, the the denial, the anger, depression, acceptance, all that stuff. But, yeah, when I came out the other side, that's when I kind of asked myself, okay, if I only have five years, how do I want to spend that five years? And uh, as a comic, one of the dreams I had been waiting on rather than chasing was uh, to perform on the David Lipperman show.
4: So, and, and, and I think it's really relevant because, you know, most people don't understand that it's so different when you're in your 20s or 30s. It's not our mom, it's yeah. not our grandma – you had a wonderful girlfriend at the time who who actually you you invited when, to leave. You asked her to to leave.
6: <laughs> I gave her the idea. I tried to give her the out cuz yeah, I can, you know we'd only been dating for about 7 months at the time and I can imagine if the tables were turned, you know, look we were in love, we were living together, but if all of a sudden, you know, someone you kind of you know, I haven't known that long. This seems sound silly after Kim Kardashian is getting divorced after two months of marriage. Right. I think she only knew the guy for a couple months before that. But I think for most people, yeah. Yeah, most, most people uh, you know, seven months seems like a short time to decide what you're going to do in that situation. And uh, I wanted to give her a bow, Like, you know, she was in her mid-30s as well. That's a very important time for a woman to decide where her life is going and to plan a family and those kind of things. And I'm sure she was thinking in her head. Do I want to spend any more time with this guy who might not be around in five years? You know, am I going to be 40 years old and and left alone and have given away a very important time of my life to someone who's who's not around anymore? So uh, I kind of tried to give her an out, but, you know, her being the incredible woman she is, she stuck with me, and uh, we're married today. And, uh, yeah, we're actually, that's what we're doing here, besides the megaphone guy who's coming back. uh, (laughs) We are celebrating our anniversary. We are celebrating our anniversary here in Key West, so uh, six Ooh, years, yeah. Ooh, so. that's
5: great! So, yeah. Happy anniversary! Happy that's, anniversary! Thank you, thank you very much. So, so, Steve, at the time then of your diagnosis, you were doing your stand-up comedian thing, right? You were touring. I mean, just like give us a paint, paint your life for us at the time. Right? Yeah, I
6: was. I had been doing comedy for about six years full time, uh, touring. You know, I always say the country, but it's really the world because i had made I'd made many trips to Iraq and Afghanistan uh, for. Perform for our troops there. I've been to uh, you know Japan, Korea, other parts of Asia doing comedy. Um, You know, traveling around, living my dream of uh, of being a comedian, and uh, you know I, I felt great about that. It was uh, it was you know a dream I had since I was a kid to to do that, and so I, I my life was great. I, I was really happy with it. But the one thing I didn't realize was that there was still a lot of stuff I was saying someday too. And I think we're all guilty of that, you know. Uh, saying, okay, someday I'm going to do this, someday I'm, I'm going to do this. And for me, one of the things, I was very confident that someday I was going to be on Letterman. And, you know, once you get that diagnosis, again, especially like you guys were talking about, for young adults, we all think we have a lot more time left than we probably do. Not in, not just people with cancer. Probably all of us are, are guilty of that, of, of pushing things off and saying someday to things that are really important.
4: Well, and I think the film... And you didn't start even shooting the film until like a year afterwards or so, right?
6: That's exactly right. Yeah, we, it was about a year after the diagnosis when, you know, when I kind of got done with all the surgery and everything around it, that I asked myself, okay, where do you want to go from here? And that's when the idea, the project, Dying to Do Letterman, came up. And as silly as it sounds, there was, you know, this is 2005 at this point. There's no no Facebook, no YouTube, no Twitter. Uh, I just started a website called Dying to Do Letterman and uh put my comedy up there and ask people, "Hey, if you think I'm funny enough, would you go to uh go to Dave's website and tell them you think I'm funny enough to be on a show?" So,
4: well, apparently you were I, annoying enough to get their attention and they told you
6: to I did go get away. Their, I, get, I got their attention, but their, yeah, the annoyance and the attention was uh enough to, rather than for them to give me a spot on the show. They gave me a letter that said you will not be on the show. And in fact, uh you know, you can see in the movie and now we have a book Peace as well.
1: Steve. Cause no, they, they, they use the word impossible.
6: Basically what it is, <laughs> they say yeah, impossible. They, they use the word impossible. Did they so did their did their lawyers ever contact you, Steve? No, I never I never did get as low as lawyers. I think you know, I I really believe if I had not had had uh, been diagnosed with cancer, listen, none of this would have happened, but if I had been just a normal person annoying him as much as I had been they probably would have had their lawyers contact me but I think they kind of almost felt sorry it was a double like, yeah. You can't yeah. have
0: cancer and have the lawyers attack you. No, he'd be in
6: oh. now <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought they, the yeah. <laughs> <show>. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think they probably figured well, look, let's not let's not pile on on the guy and who knows maybe you know uh, dark sense of humor here maybe they thought look this this problem's going to solve itself in a little bit anyway. Yeah, I See, bet what, they
5: did. What, tell, tell folks who, who haven't seen the film because um, walk us through this film a little bit more because there's some famous faces that that pop up yeah. throughout the film that you kind of go to to get advice on on how to get actually get on Letterman. Is, is that right.
6: right? So yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. The so after I get that letter, the the uh, it's impossible for you to be on the show. I kind of you know it's almost like the diagnosis, uh, another obstacle. I, I I I picked up the you have the it's double you know, down. The Exactly, you have the denial, depression, anger, and eventually acceptance. So I said, all right, now you just have to prove them wrong, that it is possible, and find another way to get on the show. So I was going to, you know, I think they were thinking it was like a make-a-wish thing. You know, they I don't think they even knew that I was like a full-time comic and, and that kind of thing. That it, they didn't really look at my comedy. So I, I really had to set out trying to show them that I was a really, really good comedian and that I was worthy of being on the show. So one of the first things I did is I reached out to all the other comedians I could find who had been on Letterman before and performed on Letterman, and I asked them for their advice. And so in the movie you see, you actually see the people who, who you know, got back in touch with me and said, "I'd love to talk to you about this." And uh, those include people like uh, Ray Romano, Jim Gaffigan, Kevin Nealon, my favorite comedian Brian Regan, and uh, and many more. Uh, Arj Barker from the Flight of the Conqueror show. Uh, yeah, lots you... of uh, lots of great comics.
4: These were all one-timers, right? These were people that only got at Letterman once?
6: Oh, no, no, no. no. Yeah, these are mul- no. all mul- multiple-timers. I think, uh, you know, these are all- I probably interviewed eight different comedians, and I think five of them had already been on multiple times Okay, at that point.
4: okay. Right. right. Yeah. Ray, uh, Ray, Ray said that it took him, like, nine years to get on the first time. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, right. yeah. That's the, right. The
6: very first time was nine times for him. I think Jim Gaffigan says so six or seven years after, and that's six or seven years after he started auditioning. That right. That was you know from the beginning of his career. But you caught a break.
4: You caught a break. Tell us yes, about the I break you uh Yes, I did catch a break.
6: So uh, a club owner in San Francisco, that's where I started comedy, heard about the project, and uh, I—you know he knew me. Uh, we weren't great friends or anything like that. I had worked for him many, many times. But he reached out on my behalf and uh, got in touch with the person who actually books the comedy, the comedians for the show, and said, hey, you should take a look at this guy. And, uh, you know, they, then they reached out to me. The booker reached out and said, hey, I want to see your, your taste. This guy's saying you're pretty good. Let's, let's see it. So then the pressure was on to get him a DVD of my comedy that uh, I thought was good enough to be on the show. And so that, that's kind of the next step you see in the movie. But it's, it's one of those things. That it's a lesson, you know, again, that I, people are really reacting to the movie. And uh, I think one of the reasons is is that we, we all have these things in our head, like I said, that we're saying someday, too, or these dreams. But a lot of times we keep them to ourselves, we don't share them. And all these amazing things started happening once I started sharing them, you know, uh, that I wanted to be on the show. People started saying, hey, we'll help, and uh, we'll write, Dave. And this guy, like I said, he was one of the last people I would have expected would have reached out on my behalf, but he did. I think he was the the first touchstone to it.
4: The the story here, though, is is not as much like, let's get the cancer guy on Letterman. It's like, you're actually funny. You deserve to be on the show. You're going to work your ass off to be on the show and the fact that you happen to be going through something medical is irrelevant.
6: Yeah, well, listen, I you, you see me even say in the movie when I get the impossible letter, I know that that's what they're thinking, that, oh, this guy just wants to be on because he has cancer. Listen, I, I'm i telling you guys, I think I said it already, I knew I was good enough to be on the show. I had no doubt. It was just one of those things, and that's kind of why I was skating through my career a little bit, because I thought, all right, eventually they're going to hear about me. This is how you know comedy and most of life works, you know, even, you know, radio and, and whatever else you do. You you do something very well, and people hear about it, and then opportunities open up for you. But I had been waiting for this opportunity to come rather than chasing it, and that, that's kind of what switched when I got diagnosed. I realized, okay, you can't, you can't sit down and wait for it to come for you anymore. And uh, so I was very confident from the beginning that I was good enough to be on the show. So now I was just convincing them, and that's, you right. know, that's kind of, like you said, that's what the movie's about uh, more than, hey, I have cancer, put me on.
4: No, and I, I like I, your. I growth. wouldn't want to be
6: on. I wouldn't want to be on if they if they had just called and said, "Oh, you have cancer. We'll put you on."
4: I wouldn't want to be on in that way. I, you know, I right. wanted them
6: to look at me quicker because my time might be limited. But like I like that's part to, of your
0: uh, intro from Letterman.
6: Yeah, exactly.
0: Like this is our
4: cancer yeah, comic. Yeah, this
6: guy. here yeah. comes the cancer guy. Put your hands together. Make him and, good. and you know, I was I was
4: really touching the film. Uh, I I knew Bob Schimmel. Bob Schimmel and I were friends. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Bob has been on the show twice, back in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, when he when he released his book Cancer on Five Bucks a Day. And when he passed yeah. away, it was it was utterly devastating. And I really want to thank you for paying some tribute to him in the film. I'm glad you got to meet him. He really was an insanely nice oh, yeah. guy.
6: Yeah, I I luckily had met him a couple of times, and uh, my friend Lee, who you see in the movie, uh, who helped me with a lot of the stuff, including putting up the original website. He worked a lot with Schimmel, so I used to go always see him as a fan, and then Lee eventually introduced me, and, uh, you know, I got to talk to him. Obviously, he's the, you know, when you think to, to call him a cancer comic would be a disservice, but he, right. he's the one guy I know who really tackled the subject and didn't shy away from it at all right. and made it hilariously funny, uh, you know, attested testament. Usually, say like cancer, you admit you have cancer to anyone when you're on stage, and it changes the whole vibe in, in, the, in the room, and he was such an a genius who was able to uh, take that whole room on a ride with them and, and make them, you know, pee their pants about how funny the stuff you have to deal with uh right. cancer is.
5: So, so Steve, we should tell everybody. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
6: No, I was going to say, go go
5: ahead.
4: Lisa, you're on the same page. So, like, we don't want to give away the end of the movie, but we kind of have to. We because... kind of have to. <laughs> well,
6: there's, two good, two, there's two happy endings to the movie. One, yeah. I'm, one I'm past that five-year uh, scenario. And uh, and two, listen, you're not giving anything too much away uh, because if people Google my name and Letterman, uh, they'll either find my uh, find the website for ninety two Letterman, or they'll find out what happened if I was on Letterman. So you're not giving too much away. Right. So, so yeah, I, so I, I, I was on we, Letterman in two thousand
5: nine. Yes. Well, so I we want. Yes. So the obviously, obviously the question is, what was the experience like, and was it everything that you hoped it would be?
6: It was it was even more than I hoped it would be, and how many things in life happen that way? I don't know if it was it was the years of work I put into you know uh, just to, so you guys saw the film, but to everyone listening or hearing the story for the first time, I gave myself a year to get on Letterman uh, after that diagnosis, and uh, it took almost five years to get on. Um, so when I, when I was on that day, you know everything ended up being even better than I had imagined, and, and you know I always compare it to asking for a uh, Christmas present. You get the Christmas present you've been looking for all, all year, and you play with it for a couple hours, and then it's just not as fun anymore. But this is – every level was it was better. You know, they put me up at a hotel called the Dream Hotel. Uh, that just happens to be where they put their 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 guests. It had nothing to do with me, but that was a cool thing. I, I taped the show on a Monday, and it aired on a Friday. So that was very cool. Um, so – uh that was fantastic. Uh, you know, I got a, a letterman week versus just a letterman day. That was amazing. Um so yeah, couldn't have been couldn't have been any better. And, did you uh,
5: get much did you I get much ha- time with Dave?
6: Uh just what you see in the movie. <laughs> just what you see in the movie. He's pretty, he's a pretty reclusive guy.
4: So. Yeah.
5: Yeah, exactly.
4: Well, I pulled this off of YouTube.
1: Is Please welcome Steve this is Dave
4: introducing Steve on the late show. I feel like Steve Ah, brings back in the life. memories, even right oh. there. Yeah. Let's hear your first
6: joke, and then we'll cut away. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening. Uh, great to be here in New York City. The show put me up at a great hotel. I am not used to that. I said at a place last week when I checked in, they gave me a key. A key. Not a key card, a key. I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, did I, did I just win a car? Did I, no, I didn't win a
1: car. Is
6: this, this is my room key. This is, oh, I like the I like, I like how you put my room number on there. That's great.
4: Well, you can watch that on YouTube, but I'm uh, yeah,
6: well, so actually, proud of you. One, one long bit. Thanks so much. Yes, yeah, one long bit all about key cards. That was one of the things that's, uh, you know, a little more difficult than just going out with a bunch of different jokes. If it wasn't going well early, I had nowhere else to go because it was, it was all one topic about uh, the key cards we use when we go to hotels.
0: Because that was your joke clincher. <laughs>
6: yes, exactly. <laughs> so, so, yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. So, uh, again, even just hearing it uh, over the radio now, you know, gives me chills. It was uh, even better than expected and, and well worthwhile. Listen, it's, you know, it's as much the journey as it is the destination, but the destination proved uh, fantastic as well.
4: Steve, have the producers of Letterman seen your video? Do you know?
6: You know, we're not sure, actually. When you guys saw us in New York a couple weeks ago, um, a couple of the staff writers for the show came out and saw it and uh, really, really liked it. And uh, they have, they have since told me that there's a poster now hanging in the writers' room of Dying to Do Letterman. So we're very excited about that. And uh, we, we know that uh, Ray Romano's manager is friends with one of the producers and has passed the DVD on to them, but we're not sure if uh, Dave has actually seen it yet. So hopefully soon.
4: Yeah, I actually know Roy Rosegarden. He's uh, an old friend of mine.
6: Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he's been great from the beginning setting up both the interviews with Ray and Brian and uh big supporter all along. So, yeah, he's a great guy.
4: Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. We're so proud of you. You are really just Oh, um, thank you, Carson. listen, yeah.
6: It was so great that you guys were able to come out uh, when we were in, in New York. It's so great to, you know, see it on the big screen and share it with you guys beforehand. Well, thank you for the inviting ca- us.
5: Well, Yes, we'll see, but obviously to tell everybody, too. I mean, where can, if our listeners want us to check out the film, where can they see it?
6: Yeah, well, the, the film will be playing some more festivals, and then we'll hopefully be on Netflix or Video On Demand before the end of the year. What they can do right now, and we'll have probably a limited release as well. We're into some distribution talks I can't talk too much about right now, but uh, uh, if they just go to dyingtoDoLetterman.com, that original website that I started for the project is now the project for the movie. And uh, we also have a book that just came out last Monday called Dying to Do Letterman as well. That's uh, from the people who did the chicken soup for the soul series. So, um, yeah, so a lot of great things are happening. The, you know, the, the story has really touched people, not just with cancer. I think it's one of those things. Again, it, it was a wake-up call for me, and I think that's what people are relating to, you know, a wake-up call to chasing your dreams because, you know, none of us know how much time we have left.
5: And do you have any, do you have any club dates coming up as well?
6: Yeah, you know, if you just go to stevemazon.com or dot it has a, a link to it as well. I'll be back in Chicago. I know you guys were talking about Chicago uh, there very soon. Um, I'm going to do some shows next week in uh, Naples, Florida. We're at a film festival there. Uh, St. Louis Film Festival, we're going to do some comedy as well. We try and tie some in. Uh, all that I put on, yeah, both my website. And people can friend me on Facebook, just stevemazon, M-A-Z-A-N. Now is the time to get in, everyone. I don't have 5,000 friends yet. Let's get in before the, <laughs> so Steve, in before the bubble breaks.
0: If I if I friend you right now, you'll be like, hey, Kim, thanks for the yes. friend. Ah, oh, I'm, right. It'll I'm be so going to do it. Yes,
6: you, you won't, uh, it won't be the later thing where you're just putting stuff on my wall and not knowing right. if I ever see and just, it. And you're ignoring
0: me. I love it. I'm
6: <laughs> this friending is the floor. you right now. Ground yeah. floor all right, well,
0: friending.
4: Excellent.
6: I can't wait to see all these stupid cancer friends that come this way.
4: No, you're, And you're... I'm not calling
6: them stupid friends. I'm saying friends <laughs> stupid cancer. Friends.
4: No, you got so plenty of stupid of cancer friends. Myself, uh, most significantly. I, I'm proud of everything you've done. You you really st- stood in the face of, of 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 everything that was against you, and you owned it.
6: You totally owned oh, thank- it. Yeah, well, thanks for saying that. It's uh, it's great. Not only you know uh, when when audiences love it, but then uh, people who share some sort of the backstory with me as well. We you know it, it's always great when those people like it. So thanks for saying that.
4: Well, uh, good luck with everything. Congratulations on your uh, your wedding anniversary once yeah, again. Yeah, happy you.
5: anniversary. Get that. Thank you, West. Enjoy everything. Yeah, thank you. I'm
4: gonna... yep. I'll i will be sure to be in touch. So I want to see. My... Yeah, I want to see you live. So come, to... come back okay, to New York. Yeah, I'll
6: let you guys know when I'm back uh, in your neck of the woods and everyone else. Please, yeah, just pay attention on Facebook or at steve or dine dot com. My wife and
4: I are going to go celebrate by beating up the guy with the megaphone. Nice, please do. Please. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. Thank, Good luck. Thank you guys. Thank Steve you.
5: Maison. <laughs>
4: Steve Mazan.
5: <Maison>. It's <laughs> great to have him on the show.
4: No, he is. I tell you, he's actually he's actually very funny. It's not like he's just yeah. like some guy. He he deserved to be on Letterman. Letterman, you need to have a very very specific style of humor. To be on Letterman, yep. it has to yep. make, be in sync with what Dave wants. It has to be in sync with what the audience wants. It's a very unique crowd that's in the studio and that watches on TV. So um, he nailed it. it. It's just great. I'm, I'm thrilled. He's—I I wanted to be my friend. You know, it's one of those things like a, I, I <laughs> want to be his friend. He's just a really—you right now. Yeah,
0: know. go him.
4: I am. I am. I am. I am, um, I am digitally.
0: But you want real-life people. I, real I think. want
4: real-life friends, yeah. I, yeah. I don't like... I, I'm 37. I don't need more friends, you know? But I like him. Yeah. He's a really nice guy. Yeah. He's very down-to-earth, very genuine, and he's just... He, he owned it. He grabbed it by the balls, and he just owned it. Wow.
1: We like Good that. Good
4: show. Yeah.
0: I Good just show. paused at the balls part. I lost <laughs> track, train of thought. I just kept on thinking cancer balls.
4: Cancer balls.
0: Cancer balls. Speaking Grab of them. cancer
4: balls, I'm going to Chicago tomorrow to see Johnny Immerman of uh, Immerman Angels, which is the uh, number one peer-matching organization in the country for young adults with cancer at Im Immerman, sorry. dot org. There we go. I cannot speak tonight, apparently.
0: You can. No. You Two can. Ball Jews. Hey,
4: two ball Jews in Chicago tomorrow night, seven o'clock at Dos Diablos. I'm very excited to see our crew and uh I guess that's the show.
0: All
4: right. Lisa, I'm sending you a shovel <laughs>
0: And oh, I'm sending you gerbil food. Gerbil food is coming your <laughs> way. I'm,
4: and actually, I'm not really sending you a shovel. I'm sending you like an e-shovel on Sim City.
0: <laughs> on Sim City,
4: yeah.
0: yeah. Lisa, I'm literally sending you gerbil food. Yeah, by the pound. <laughs> and, <laughs> and
4: steroid shots. It's got to come into like right. helicopter drop.
5: That's right. Laura, Laura angles me out of here. No, uh, no we'll <laughs>
4: <laughs> Oh God! Thank you, Lisa. Little H on the P, her booty. Exactly. I'll, LB. I'll see you
5: guys. See you guys live next week.
4: Alright, Lee. Right. Take care. Bye, Lise. Happy
5: almost Halloween. Uh, no, you don't
4: get Halloween this year. Yeah. No. Okay.
0: Happy Tuesday almost. Happy Tuesday. <laughs> That's all you yeah.
4: get. Bye, Lee. Bye bye. Alright, let's uh let's end this show here on a high note. Ooh. Uh, no. Oh,
0: no. uh, a high note. I went <laughs> to activate.
6: Uh, <laughs> I hear there's rumors on the uh internets.
0: you ever seen a grown man naked? And so to all of you, a
6: fond farewell.
1: Hooray,
0: I'm helping. You are a meathead.
1: Oh, my You've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer.
4: Alrighty, folks. That is our show, our 203rd broadcast. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. I'd like to thank our in-studio guest, Kimberly Hellum. Thank you. James Manning. Our Very guests, nice. Lenore Caraballo, Abu Farman, Pastor Wong, and Steve Mazon. Next week's show, what is an e-patient? Rachel Capio, our good friend from Jersey, who now works at Sloan in New York City. Ooh. Young adult survivor of leukemia is our survivor spotlight. Amy Tenderick, patient advocate, diabetes blogger, health 2.0 speaker, consultant, and founder of Diabetes mine, And the man, the myth, the legend, e-patient Dave DeBronckart, survivor of kidney cancer, national patient advocate, activist, volunteer chairman for the Society for Participatory Medicine, author, blogger, speaker, at e-patient Dave. And to end the show, what a better way than... Oh
0: my gosh!
4: If you've missed any of our past shows, download them all for free on iTunes at iTunes.StupidCancer.com, or check out the archives at StupidCancerShow.com. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the chemo deck, on behalf of Lisa Bernhard in Schenectady, New York, myself and our whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show. Have a great week, folks. Good night. Bye.
6: plus.